On today's podcast, I had former pro basketball player turned expert luxury realtor Sam Coleman on. We went over a whole bunch of things of what it was like growing up in a tough neighborhood to being a pro basketball player, going through the struggles of that. I know all too well about what it's like trying to make it to the big time and just dealing with everything going on with that. But we also go over what it was like for him trying to develop as a realtor, especially in the luxury space where he had to face many different adversities like racism, like getting rejected at doors, getting chased by dogs and other things. So it's a really good episode. And Sam gets really philosophical on different things that you can apply to your life. If you're looking to get motivated and you're looking to overcome adversity and get rid of your false beliefs, this is the episode for you. So without further ado, let's jump into it. Are you looking to grow your real estate investing business? My company, Future Flipper, can help. We've taught hundreds of people all over the country how to flip, wholesale, and buy rental properties. And it doesn't matter where you're at in your investing journey. Whether you're trying to get your first deal or scale your company, Future Flipper can help. We have courses, coaching, and events for all levels of investors. So if you want to take the next step, go to futureflipper.com and book a free consultation to see how we can best help you. Once again, that's futureflipper.com. If you've ever wanted to invest with me on my real estate deals, it's now possible. At Pineda Capital, we're purchasing value-add real estate all across the country. This includes multifamily, commercial, and land development. The best part is, with my network, social media presence, and marketing strategies, we're able to get the very best deals that others don't have access to. You can join in with me on those deals if you're an accredited investor. If you want to learn more, head over to PinedaCapital.com to see our current opportunities. Once again, that's PinedaCapital.com. Welcome to The Ryan Pineda Show. Where our mission is to invest. I only expect to make money in things that I understand. Innovate. It's about believing in the future and thinking that the future will be better than the past. And inspire. I am much more likely to hit my goal just due to putting it out there. You're now rocking with the best. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of The Ryan Pineda Show. Today, I've got myself a former athlete turned real estate guy on the show. I love my athletes because uh, they can relate to the struggle that uh, I had to endure. And uh, it's always cool to talk about how, you know, what life is like after sports. So happy to have former basketball player Sam Coleman on. What's up, man? Not much, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, dude. So, uh, man, it's cool to see your growth these last few years in Vegas. You've uh, really kind of scaled to uh, doing a lot of luxury now, man. Tell me about that. Yes. So got into business in 2016. In 2015, I got cut. Uh, from the Phoenix Suns G League team. So I thought politics were in my favor this at this time. I've been playing ball for about five or six years, and my agent gave me a call. He said, Sam, we got a great opportunity with the Suns. I just need you to go play 10 games in the G League, shoot 40-plus percent from three, give me 10 or more rebounds a game, you got your shot. I'm dude, like, Darn. There, there ain't many people doing 10 rebounds a game shooting 40% from three, dude. That's You're Dirk Nowinski, dude. Yep. So I took that challenge. I said, let's go. Let's get it. I was in the best shape of my life. I get there to training camp, and I'm killing it. And then they put me at the small forward position. He's like, this kid can go. You know, I was lean, 235. Uh, my how, com- how tall are you, by the way, for the viewers? I'm 6'10". 6'10", 235, shooting threes, mm-hmm. rebounding the ball. Rebounding the ball. And that was that was my go-to. Like, I had lost a little bit of athleticism from tearing my ACL in 2010. Um, but uh, for the most part, it was about – shoot the ball, 
get some rebounds, play solid defense. This is your shot. Well, that didn't work out. So I got a call from the GM, and he goes, Sam, this, this is unfortunate. It has nothing to do with your ability, but now is just not the time. Stay ready, though. Well, I had been hearing stay ready for the last five years of my career. I quit. I was kicked and screamed, frustrated with my agent, uh, frustrated with, with life, mad at God. I'm like, dude, I've done everything. Like, I never cheated. I never switched up. I never quit. I got up at 4 a.m. every day. I ran the drills. You know, I stayed hours and hours and hours, and it just didn't work out. So three months later, I then uh, start working at Solar City, got the job at Solar City, and I'm like, this sucks, but I'm in orientation at Solar City, and the sons call me back. Hey, Sam, you in shape? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm in shape. Sitting there with a tie on in orientation front, trying to figure out how to sell solar. And uh, they say, we're going to fly you to Dallas on Friday. You're going to play Saturday. And I'm like, all right, let's go. My agent sends me over the contract. I'm ready to go. Call my boy. Hey, let's go hit 24-hour fitness right now. <laughs> <laughs> I quit on the spot. I'm like, dude, I gotta, like, I gotta, I gotta, I can't just show up off the couch. Yep. So I had been taking all my frustration out in the gym. So at that point, I was about 245, 250, straight muscle, just no cardio, no cardio at all. Right. And I get there. Uh, everybody's like, man, you've been, you've been hitting the weights. Yeah, I've been hitting the weights, man. That's you know, I've just been staying ready. No, I was not staying ready. I got cut back in Vegas on Monday, kicked and screamed, cried, angry again, called my agent, don't call me again. I'm going to get my real estate license. Yeah. So um, go take the test, fail. Like, all right, everybody's, oh, don't worry about it. You'll get it next time. Go take the test again, fail. So long story short, I took that test four times and failed it. So at this point, I'm driving for Uber, uh, Uber and Lyft, and... How many, how many times does it take to get your driver's license test, dude? One. Okay. <laughs> At least you were qualified for Uber. Yeah, I, yeah, I right. was qualified for Uber. All right. So uh, my wife is, uh, she's like, you know, Sam, maybe it's like, maybe real estate, it, it, ain't, just, for you. it ain't for you, yeah. right? Let's try something else. So at that point, I felt like now she gave up on me. So now I'm frustrated and I'm pissed off. But I'm pissed off in a way where it's like, I'm going to go do this no matter if somebody supports me or not. And it wasn't that she didn't support me at, at that time. It was just like, dude, we don't have the money for you to go keep taking this test. Yeah. I actually borrowed the money for her from her to go take that full time. So I woke up the next morning, drove for Uber from 4 a.m. I started at the airport. And at that time, it wasn't like you turn on your app and then rides are just coming. People are making thousands of dollars a day. It was still starting it out. It was still just starting out. So um, I drove from 4.30 and I scheduled the last, um, the very last test to, to take. And I drove all day, made the $100, did the quick cash out. Went and took the test, passed it. By the time my wife had got home from work, I was like, bam, I passed the test. She was super excited, jumped in, we hugged, super celebrated. And then I was like, now wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> now what? And we got these MLS dues. Yeah. So I'm like, dude, I need another two grand? Well, she charged all of my MLS dues on her credit card, maxed out her credit card. Now my back's against the wall for real. Yeah. There's nowhere else to go but that way. Right. So got with a, a national brokerage. Ten days after I got my license, I got a call from an Uber rider. Sam, I want to uh, list my house. They were a tenant from a house from a family in California. They want to sell their house. Run back to the brokerage. Hey, I got a listing, got a listing. Somebody helped me. Nobody was there to help. Mm. That day I saw an ad. Are you tired of not getting support from your brokerage? Do you need somebody to show you the way? Click the link, get a phone call, go meet the broker at a small boutique firm. And they helped me get that listing live. And 30 days later, I sold that home uh, for 205000 That 6 k changed my life. That's amazing, dude. Yep. That is awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy, dude. I remember I got started in the business back in 2010. I had no idea what I was doing. I had nobody helping me and just like, hope it works. Yep. And I remember getting those MLS dues. Like, dude, 
where am I going to come up with two grand for this? And, you know, I think my first real estate commission was, I want to say it was like a $70,000 house. So it was really small. Yeah. Um, but back in 2010, the prices were just so cheap that mm -hmm. it just is what it was. And um, that amount, it like, I was like, man, I can like make money. But uh, I just know the value of like getting your first deal, whether it's as an agent or a house flip, a wholesale, whatever, like, dude, it's life changing because it gives you like proof of concept that everything you've been trying to do can actually work. Yep. So what made you even want to get into real estate from sports? Because I never wanted to do it. Real estate was like not anywhere on my radar. So two things. Um, the first thing was my wife's grandmother was an agent. Um, and one Sunday I was in between seasons and this might've been 2014, 2015 in between seasons. Um, she asked me to help her set up for an open house. So she's a part-time agent. She works at the contractor's board, but she's like, Sam, come help me set up. Cool. I'll carry the table. I'm a big guy. I carry the tables, bring in the cookies, the flyers, everything for her. And she goes, well, Sam, when I sell this house, I'm gonna get a commission check for $30,000. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> you're going to sell this house and they're going to give you 30 grand. Where do I sign up? That was the first thing. And the second thing, um, I was in the preseason. I was in the off season, actually not preseason, but off season about to go to Israel. And me and my buddy that I was training with at the time, we used to run hills together. And he was like, man, do you ever think about what you're going to do when you get out? I said, no, not really. I mean, I don't want to sell used cars. Did that already. Right. But probably some type of sales gig. And I said, man, I talked to my wife's grandmother She's in real estate. She got this opportunity to make 30 G's just from just from holding an open house. I don't even know what an open house is at this point, but I'm like, man, I might do that. All she's doing is setting up with cookies and a table, and they're yep. going to give her 30 K? Yep. I want that. So that was, that's what really prompted it. Yeah, that's crazy, man. Yeah, yeah. it's interesting to see because uh, everybody has a different path into real estate. Mm -hmm. Like, nobody grows up wanting to be a realtor. No. Like, it's not a career that, you know. It, well, maybe it's a cool career now with Netflix and – Selling Sunset and all these yeah. people are like, oh, you know, I can make all this money, yep. you know, mm -hmm. but uh, that's super dope. So tell me about um, kind of how your careers evolved since that first year deal. So at that time, I had no really no strategy, no business plan. I didn't even know what a business plan was at that point. All I knew was I worked hard. I still got up at 4 a.m. I still drove for Uber. Um, and I and I thought at that time the more people that I would meet, the more opportunity that I would have to get more listings from driving Uber. Right. And I never forget the broker that spoke at the MLS class, well, the, when you get sworn in, said the agent with the most friends win. And I'll never forget it. So at that point, I subconsciously knew that I just needed to meet a bunch of people. So I would go around to all the new home developments at that time, and I would just talk to anybody who would want to talk to me. And I met these nice ladies that work for uh, a builder, and they said, you know what, Sam, I like you. You asked me one of the questions that nobody else has ever asked me, and I've been doing this for 20 years. So I asked her, I said, what are some of the things, if you had to go back to when you first got into real estate, what are some of the things that you wish you knew? And then what are those things that piss you off about agents when they come into your new home community? And she kind of looked at me like, is he serious? And I, you know, I really want to know, so I know what not to do. And that turned into every week I would take her a green tea and our partner a chai tea latte. And I would go talk to them. They would give me a wealth of information, wealth of information. And one day they say, Sam, we got this house that we just cannot sell. We can't give it away. It was a quick move-in home. Well, she said, you want to do an open house? I said, sure. Go do an open house. I held it three to four days a week. That house was $999,000. I was just happy to be in a million-dollar house. It was ugly. 
<laughs> it was bad design, but I was I was in a million dollar house, and that was enough for me because it was an opportunity. Well, at that time, the way I used to do my open houses was I would set up thirty five signs that I borrowed from my brokerage because I didn't have my own signs. Set up thirty five signs, go home, take a shower because it was hot and I was sweaty. Put a sign on the door that says "Out putting out signs, be back momentarily." Well, when I came back from taking my shower, shirt unbuttoned, tie not even on yet. There's a brand new white Escalade sitting out front, about to drive off. So I blow the horn. Lady answers, the, uh, rolls her window down and says, uh, are you the agent for the house? I say, yes. Would you like to see it? Well, that family bought that house. They had just came from the Cadillac dealership just buying their Vegas, uh, their Vegas vehicle because uh-huh. they were relocated from Arizona. Mm. I sell that house, show them houses in the ridges, and I had a, a talk with the, with the husband. He goes, Sam, you seem like a very charismatic young man, but here are some things that, I, that, that you're going to need to do if you want to make it in this business. And he told me about my appearance. My pants didn't fit. They still don't fit. But at that time, <laughs> they didn't fit. I didn't mean to make them not fit. Right. Um, my clothes were disproportionate. I had a really big tie on. I had a 2005 uh, Chevy Impala that smelled like cigarettes, and it had cigarette holes in the back seat. And when I went to show them a couple other homes, they didn't want to get in my car. Right. They had me getting theirs. Right. And he just told me, he's like, hey, you got to step it up a little bit because you have what it takes. And that in that moment, I knew specifically that I was on the right track. And once I got the opportunity, I would come correct the next time. So then after I started making a little bit of money, went and bought me a Mercedes, um, started caring a little bit more about my appearance, which I always have. I just didn't have the means at that time. So then I started getting past that fit, getting nicer, uh, more proportionate ties. And then I started to read more. And th- those little things at that time in 2000, now it's 2017, were pivotal. I still focus on that. And that's what I teach agents that join my team now. Care about what you look like, be charismatic, and the agent with the most friends win. I love that, dude. It's funny. When you were describing that, I was thinking about uh, there's like that NBA meme of like the 2003 draft class, like yep. how they're all wearing these big old <laughs> suits. <and> like, <laughs> yep. Just, but that was the style back then. But now, mm-hmm. obviously, it's not. Yeah. And uh, what, what did this guy do? Because, uh, I mean, obviously, he was buying this million dollar house from you, and, uh, you know, he really, you know, was treating you like he was a mentor a little bit. Like, what was his career? So he basically, him and his wife, they had a granite, uh, a stone business, a stone and cabinet business that they sold to Home Depot in the 80s. Mm. So their game was he goes and finds properties around the U.S., the wife redesigns them, they live in them for a couple years, and then they sell them. So they had, when they sent me their proof of funds, they have a real estate account that they just buy properties with, not right. their main account, and they had 10 million bucks in it. Yeah. I looked at that $10 million and I'm like, dude, this is insane. Like they're really like, this is real. People right. are really living like this. And, uh, yeah, man, he, he was really cool, laid back guy, very unassuming. Um, but when you, when you talk to him, he just had that look like this guy is classy and he looks like he has money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like this guy, I believe what he's saying. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. There's a different kind of, I think you can tell too, like it doesn't, you know, you see it today with, Instagram and everybody, right? Like you mm-hmm. can see the the Lambos and different things, and you see the guys who you're like, that guy's trying too hard. Yep. And then you see guys who you know maybe like you were back then who are like, dude, that dude would not trust that guy right now with yep. how he looks. And then you see the guys like what you're describing, where you're like, that guy's doing well. Like mm-hmm. you don't even need to talk about it. Like you just know. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of where you want to be. Like I I tell our realtors and just you know people that are you know my companies all the time i'm like dude 
how you dress and represent yourself like plays a huge role whether yep. you like it or not. Like the world is going to judge you depending on the image you put out. Mm-hmm. And like you got to really think about your image because um you know if you do take the Lambo approach there's going to be a a connotation that comes with that. Correct. You know, if you take the broke approach there's a connotation that comes with that and then if you take somewhere in between whatever image you're putting off you're putting off yep once you once you open your mouth you tell people who you are but before you even open your mouth people are judging you yep so i never i never understood the 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 persona that came along with being a businessman i never understood the the language that i needed to speak to be in business but over time um, over time, I started to learn things, and my superpower, I believe, is extracting information, like even the things that we talked about offline, like ex- taking that information that you've given me, that somebody uh, who is in a particular space, how can I take that information and now put it to use? Because now I'm responsible for what I do with that information. So knowledge isn't the power, it's, but it's what I do with that knowledge that gives me the power. So that's what I've been really good at. So I took those things, and it's like, all right, I need to pay attention to my appearance. And then it became, all right, now I need to know what the heck I'm talking about. Right. So the reason why they liked me so much is because I sat the house so much, I knew every single thing about it. I knew what sound the doors made <laughs> because if you go in that third bedroom and that window's open, that wind drag is going to pull the door and then that third door squeaks. Like, that's how often I was in that house. I knew everything about it. So the materials, et cetera, et cetera, the construction process, why it's been on the market so long, and every objection that you can probably think of I had gotten from sitting in that house so long. So they respected me on my on my knowledge and the way that I communicated that information to them. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, obviously that was your big, uh, you know, breaking moment. Yep. So how did it proceed from there? Then it became this mad dash of like, well, my first commission check was six grand. My very uh, next one, I think I sold the house for two hundred and seventy thousand. It was a Lennar quick, quick moving home, um, and then my very next sale was that million dollar home, and it was like, how do I go get more thirty thousand dollar commission checks? Right. So I started calling agents, calling them anything that was seven hundred thousand dollars or more right. in Summerlin in my farm, and I would call them, hey, can I do an open house in your house? No, screw off, go get your own business. Um, this isn't charity, screw off, screw off, screw off. And then the one person answered the phone and said, sure, I'll do it. Well, it was an agent. Her and her husband had never moved into the house. So she said, sure, Sam is vacant. You do an open house. So I did an open house on Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Uh I held that open house. Three weekends later, I sold that house. I sold the house across the street. And then one of the, the buyers that bought that house, I listed their house right next door in the community right next door. Change, another game changer. Now, this is my first year in the business, and everything that I took from getting up early, putting in the work, staying focused, quality people, building relationships, knowing your stuff, being presentable, I just apply that over and over and over and over and over again and just duplicating that process because it was a numbers game. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. I tell people this all the time, you know. Every business I, I've ever done, it just comes down to volume. You know, people yep. are like, man, why am I not getting enough deals? I'm like, well, you ain't making enough offers. Like, yep. That's all it comes down to. Yep. You know, um, they they say, man, I'm not growing on social media. I'm like, how many videos did you post? I'm like, go look at how many I post. Mm-hmm. You know, like yep. it takes volume. Yep. And with volume comes obviously results, but you also get better. Like in the process of you holding 
all those open houses and knocking all those doors, your sales skills improved tremendously. Tremendously. That one of the best things that I learned from when I hired my coach was if you go door knock and you mess up, the person that you're about to knock on, the door that you're about to knock on next, they don't know that you just messed up. So just go. And I went from failure to from failure to failure without losing enthusiasm. So I would knock on the door and hey, my name is Sam. You want to sell your house? Crap, I probably should have said that. They shut the door in my face. No, get out of my neighborhood, whatever. But then I would go to the next door and I got better. Hi, my name is Sam Coleman with the Sam Coleman Luxury Group. The reason for my visit today is, crap, what do you say after that? <laughs> well, then I would go to the next door and then I would get better and better and better. Right. And then before I know it, it was like, you know what? Me and Martha were actually thinking about selling our house and moving to Florida. Oh, crap. Now I got to close them for a listing appointment. Yep. Yeah, and then I got in the door. Now what? Now what? Right. So then it became this challenge of like, all right, how do I get better? How do I get better? How do I get better? And with that volume, I made up in volume what I lacked in experience. Yeah. If you just do it and stay consistent, you'll trip and fall in the business. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You can make up. You know, it's funny when I hear uh, people that are like, "Yeah, I've been in the business for twenty years or whatever." Like, that's great, but you can catch those people fairly quickly with just outworking them. Yep. doing more volume. Mm-hmm. But the other thing is too, is, is doing it more efficiently. Um, I think that's one thing that I've really focused on doing and everything that I do is like, how can I, you know, I, I know I don't want to work that much. Like how do I make my moves so efficient? Like, cause to relate it back to sports, right? Like we know, uh, when you're in the post, how efficient you are with that first step is going to dictate whether you beat the guy or not. Right. Beat yep. him off the block, whatever it is. Um, how efficient you are with your shot dictates whether you get blocked or not. Mm -hmm. And it's just like one micro second of inefficiency that dictates whether you make it or you miss it, you Mm -hmm. get a turnover or whatever. And so like, I think about that same thing in business. I'm like, how do I be so efficient with every movement that I make on every level, whether I'm making a podcast, whether I'm making a decision, because, you know, if I take longer to make a decision that delays everything, if I, you know, misspeak when I'm trying to close a deal that makes a break, whether I get the deal or not. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like, how can you become as efficient as possible in all of the opportunities you get? Because yeah. you only get so many opportunities. Right. And I think with what you learn over time is you take as many reps as you can and eventually you start getting better and better and better. And so the results start to change where it's like, yeah, I don't need to knock a hundred doors anymore Correct. to get, you know, that many deals. I can knock 25 doors and get the same amount of deals because I'm that much better now. Mm-hmm. And that's what I teach my agents. So they, everybody looks at me now and they're saying, Sam, it's easy for you to say, well, I said, well, you weren't out there in the rain with no umbrella knocking on doors when I failed a hundred times, right? You weren't at the door. When the nice lady let me in because she was like, honey, you're sweating so hard. Would you like a glass of water? Because I'm like, I'm not going home until I get an appointment. So when you say it's easy for me, it's easy for me now because I put in my time. So I do this challenge with them and I say, hey, let's go out and let's see who get the most contacts and who can get an appointment. So the secret is after we go and do that challenge, I'll always win. But what I tell them, the lesson is not for me to beat them or for them to feel humiliated because they didn't do it. The lesson is understand if I go out and talk to five people, I'm going to get four contacts and I'm going to get three appointments. If you go and talk to five people, you might not get any contacts and any appointments. But if you go talk to 50 people, you may get 15 contacts and six appointments. So that goes back to that philosophy. I, I made up in volume what I lacked in experience. So if, if you got to go talk to 100 people to get a deal, go talk to 100 people. And then it beca- now you have a metric and you can go based off that metric. 
Then over time, to your point, you get better, and then that, that number then significantly decreases. So for every, every eight conversations I have, I get two deals. Like, it's just, it's just a matter of time. And then the, the, the conversations that I have that don't lead to deals, they ultimately end up leading to referrals. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. It's 100% right. Have you ever wanted to invest in real estate, but you didn't have the time to find deals yourself? That's where Fundrise comes in. Fundrise is a crowdfunding platform that has transacted over $5 billion in real estate and has over 150,000 active investors. While many funds, like my own, require accredited investors, Fundrise allows anyone to invest with as little as $500. If you'd like to learn more, check out Fundrise.com. Once again, that's Fundrise.com. Are you looking to find off-market real estate deals? One of the best tools my team uses is Batch Leads. With Batch Leads, you're able to pull data, manage lists, and send text messages. On top of that, you can get nationwide access to the MLS to get pictures and comps. My team has used Batch Leads to get some of our best deals, so I know it works. If you want to start today, you can get half off your first month by going to batchleads.io and using the promo code RYAN. Once again, that's batchleads.io, promo code RYAN for half off your first month. Now, back to the show. Well, and I'll tell you too, like, once you develop the skills like you have, right, then you start thinking about things differently. And we talked about this off camera um, about, okay, I've got these skills. Is the way I've been using these skills the best use of them, right? So it's Mm -hmm. like, originally you start as a buyer's agent and it's like, yeah, man, you could be a buyer's agent, but holy cow, it's not very scalable, No, you know? And uh, it's a lot of headache. But then you take those same skills and apply it to just listings. And mm-hmm. you're like, all of a sudden, this is way easier. I yep. can get way more deals. I can do this. Then you take it a step further and you start saying, well, what if I only did listings for luxury? And then you're starting to just see like that same skill being used in a much more efficient manner. Yep. Yep, and for sure. That's probably led to more growth than anything. Mm-hmm. So my mentor, uh, for every five deals he does, I do one. And we joke about it all the time when he's like, man, if I would have started when I when you started, when I was your age doing what you were doing, I'd be on a yacht right now. <laughs> like, like, it's incredible because I don't want to work this hard. Right. So I understood that after getting that first thirty thousand dollar commission check. And now to fast forward um, five years later in the business it's not necessarily about the money. It's about the efficiency and the time and the freedom that I get along with that. And. Now, the, the scalability factor is how do I take those same skills that I've acquired from going from buyer's agent to listing agent, from listing agent to team leader, from team leader to now business owner, and then multiple business owner to then then duplicate those skills and embed those skills into other people and, lo- and allow them to grow. Because seeing, like, my youngest agent, he's 20, seeing him go do exactly what I say do, and for him to make $100,000 this month, like, it's so fulfilling for me. Like, it's so cool to see him go out and his very first, three weeks after he got with me, he was like, dude, you know, this is really hard. And I said, I, I know it's hard, but if you do it, it'll change your life. The next day we went out and did that challenge. He got his first listing appointment, closed the deal. Three weeks after being with me, I wrote him a check for 28 grand. Yeah. Like that was his split afterward, right? So right. to see him go through that, go through those motions, feel those emotions, but then keep going, I'm like, that's that's what it takes. Right. That's what it takes. Yeah. No, it's it's so true. And it's like the sooner you can learn these skills and, you know, how to use them in the best possible way, it's like, man, it starts to change things. Like I, for those listening, like many people know I own a, a lot of different businesses, but 
you know, it's like I've had these same skills for a long time Mm -hmm. and I was using them in my house flipping company really effectively. And I just started to realize there were other ways to use the skills that were going to make a lot more money. Yep. And, you know, I started using them for social media. I started using them for coaching. I started using them for e-commerce. And all of a sudden I'm like, man, these skills pay a lot more using them over here. Yep. And I'm just constantly looking at, you know, what's the next way I could utilize, you know, the skills that I've developed that are hard to develop. Like you said, they take a long time. They're Mm -hmm. not just something that people just can learn tomorrow. Yep. I can tell you what to do, but there's no, there's no way to rush repetition. Mm -mm. You know, we know in sports, what's the the rule? It's like, it takes 10,000 hours to become a master or something. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you can't rush 10,000 hours. No, it just takes what it takes. And so once you have it though, then it's like, man, okay. Now that I've developed it, like, what can I do with these? Mm-hmm. And my 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 message to anybody, especially if you're a new agent, you're getting the business. There's no shortcut. You can like you have to 100 percent take the course. Like if you're getting if you see the ad, the person that's running the ad for you to take the course is there. 90 percent of the time, most of the time, whatever <laughs> percentage is, most of the time, because they've done something and they're successful at it. And it's a way, not the way, but a way for you to extract that information and then go put it to use. So you can't short the 10,000 hours, but there is now no excuse because information is too accessible. So one of the, the mental blocks that I had was being black and being a luxury real estate business. There's no there are no luxury black real estate agents doing it on a, on a mega scale in Vegas. So I say, all right. Well, why not me? So I took that information that I learned from my coach, from YouTube, from the the digital mentors of the world, from the Bradleys, from the from the Zig Ziglers, all those philosophies, all those foundations and uh, of sales, and I started to apply them. And it took ten thousand hours, like literally hours and hours of hours of me beating on my craft to know what to say and then understand, like, all right, maybe I shouldn't have said it that way. It's a different way to say it. Then I start playing with mirroring and matching and then tonality and then tugging on the heartstrings and then making it not about them and making it about another person and then ultimately getting to the same end result. So I basically took all these things and I narrowed it down over those 10,000 hours to figure out what works for me. There's no shortcut to you finding your voice, whether it's a script and agents say all the time, well, I hate scripts. Well, you don't know what to say. So a script is just a foundation of you finding your voice with the right words to say. So I took those scripts. I was the same way. Oh, I'm black and there's no luxury agents. And oh, I'm not reading the script. I sound like a robot. Those are all excuses and it's bogus. Yeah. Right. So I, I, I got, I done, I did away with all the limiting beliefs. And then I just sat down, laced my bootstraps and I said, all right, well, what do I got to say? And I practiced every day with my wife in the mirror, just saying those scripts over and over and over again until I got it down. And now it's not me sounding like a robot. It's just who I am as a person. It's my voice because I right. know what to say. Yeah, no, I love that. Let's let's talk about limiting beliefs because I think that's something that we all have, whether we're aware of them or not, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think becoming aware of your limiting beliefs is the first step. But like before I got into house flipping, my limiting belief was I needed a lot of money. I said, mm-hmm. dude, every house flipper's got tons of cash. Like, mm-hmm. there's no way you could flip without it. And I learned that that was a false belief. Like, you actually don't need a lot of money. You can go get money from other people who've got money. You can go handle the deal. You get wholesale. You could get hard money. There's like a million ways to get money. And yep. today with them printing more money than ever, getting money is easy. So, you know, it, that was a limiting belief for me. But, you know, you're talking about how the limiting belief for you was your skin color. 
You know, mm. black guy trying to do luxury real estate. No one else is doing it. You got really no one else to, you know, look up to, to say, hey, what kind of struggles did you have when you're going to this? Maybe you're going to these all white neighborhoods and, yep. you know, trying to go door knock and people are like looking at you funny, yep. you know? So like, how did you get over that limiting belief and like really get past it? Because I'm sure, obviously you went through racism, adversity, yep. mm-hmm. like what was it like? Um, so I've been chased by dogs. Um, I'll never forget this one community um, in my early door knocking days. So I go, I knock on this uh, gentleman's door. Don't know who's behind the door, what the situation is, but this particular door I'll never forget. So the guy opens the door and I can hear dogs barking. So I'm not afraid of dogs. I have, I've had moments in my life where I've been afraid of dogs, but like I have dogs, so I'm not afraid of them. They're just barking. The doorbell rang. Well, that was not the case. This was not, <laughs> this was not sparky or fluffy coming to lick me. It was not a doodle. <laughs> it was a German shepherd, a hundred pound German shepherd and a Belgian Malamute. But when he opened the door, what the F do you want? Why the F are you in my community knocking on my effing door? Mm-hmm. The teeth of the German shepherd and the drool were flying out of the door. Then I heard, boom. Well, that was the Belgian Malamute jumping up against the door trying to get out, clawing at it. Like, I can see the nails, the paws under the, under the under that door trying to get out. Well, he then proceeds to curse me out and tell me to get the F out of his neighborhood and go knock somewhere that I should be, basically yeah. in a nutshell. Yep. And as I turn to walk away, the door opens. One of the dogs gets out. <laughs> I'm in a courtyard. In that courtyard, there are, like, planters on both sides of the gate, and the gate was shut, and it was one of those gates that latch. So I had to jump over. I jumped over the gate. I'm in dress shoes. I got my big tie on. I'm doing my thing. But all I knew was these dogs were behind me. And then one of the dogs got out. So I jumped over and literally barely getting over the gate, the dogs are now in the courtyard barking, blah, 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 blah. Never went back to that community, by the way. <laughs> Never went back. But in that moment, I had to make a decision. It wasn't about, at that point, I wasn't really making the money yet. No real breakthroughs had happened, but it was about, am I going to allow this to make me never come back and door knock again or go go hide in the office and make the phone calls? No. So the next day I said, all right, I'm going to go to the community next door. And when I hear a dog bark, I'm out of there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to learn my lesson. I'm, I'm going to learn my lesson. Yeah. And then I've had other opportunities where I've been in a, inside of an open house and I used to stand away from the door, like in the kitchen, because I would see people would drive up and I would be standing there ready to welcome them in, they wouldn't get out of the car. They would drive by. Yeah. So then that would trigger me. Is, is it because I'm black? They didn't want to come in. So then I started to stand in the kitchen. So in my mind, if they would just come through the door and they would just meet me and listen to what I have to say, they would trust me because I'm a great guy. I'm taking care of my family. I'm doing the right thing. I'm this great guy. They just need, they got to, I just got to talk to them. Right. So that was another limiting belief that I had. And it went from me standing in the kitchen to now I'm out front when people are coming up. I'm like, hey, how's it going? I'm telling about the outside of the community. I'm telling them about the community itself. I know the schools. I know every single homeowner in the community because I've been chased by their dogs. I've been put in the <laughs> Facebook groups, right? Uh, and I've had people not want to shake my hand. I've had the the, the racist r- remarks. You know, I've I've had the police call to me. I've been 86 out of guard gated communities, right? Mm-hmm. So I've been I've done all these things. So mentally, I had to make a choice: Am I going to let these things hold me back, or am I going to keep going? Now, on the other side of it. By me keeping, by me continuously just persevering and, and, and being consistent at it, now when I see people, they're like, "Oh, you're the open door guy. You're the guy that on Instagram that opens all the doors. Oh, you're the oh you're the the real estate guy that used to play basketball." That, so on the other side of it, 
who I became was a result of me going through that adversity. It revealed right. me. It revealed to me that all of the things that I have were already inside of me, and those limiting beliefs could have held me back. Being from Baltimore, not having a dad, not having a financial plan, not having a mentor, um, being a, du- duplicating what my dad did, having a child out of wedlock, all these uh, being cut from sports, not having any money, having bad credit. All of these things could have held me back and kept me small, kept me in the stands cheerleading or pontificating about things that I have zero experience about. Or I could get in the game, pull up my pants and say, you know what, it's time to be a man. It's time for me to grow up. So what? I've been shot at. I've, I've, I've been robbed. I've been held at gunpoint. Anything that you can think of growing up in the city was not a, is not for the weak hearted. Growing up in Baltimore City was not for the weak hearted, but I'm not going to allow my past or my upbringing to keep me or dictate where, my, where I'm going. Like right. I'm, I'm driving. I'm driving. Every day that God gives me an opportunity to wake up, I'm driving the direction that I want to go. And you're either going to get in the car with me or get the heck out of my way. Like that's just that's just as simple as that. And nobody or or whether they're racist, people in my comments, or somebody that's oh man, I no, he's just lucky or he's just six ten. Well, six ten ain't helped me when I was with the Suns. <laughs> six ten ain't helped me when it was a hundred degrees outside and I'm putting out thirty five signs, right? So I, I would just say that the most important thing is making that choice whether you're going to let those limiting beliefs hold you back, or are you going to lean into them? Because two opportunities will show you who you are: extreme comfort. Or adversity. Right. And it will reveal to you who you really are. I love that, dude. I love it. I think, you know, the biggest thing I took away from that is like, you know, we all have different life experiences, you know, based on our upbringing, how we look, everything. And we all have strengths and weaknesses. Like, mm-hmm. and it's just really a matter of like, are you aware of them? And are you aware of like what people will think of you? Like, I, I've constantly thought about this a lot. It's like, man, people want to, um, you know, try and make the world this like uh, fluffy place where everybody should get along and uh, treat each other, you know, the right way. And it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, I mean, that sounds good on paper, but I'll tell you what, uh, you know, the the day uh, sin entered the world, it hasn't been that way, no. and uh, it ain't changing anytime soon. So, no. you know, like at the end of the day, the world's a messed up place, and like you can acknowledge it and uh, see it for what it is, or you know, you can complain about it Mm -hmm. and then, you know, be a victim and, you know, nothing will happen for you. Yep. And I think with what you're saying is that, look, all these things happened to me over the years and um, I had a choice to just continue to, you know, let them uh, continue happening. Mm -hmm. Or I can just say, you know what, I'm going to learn from these. I'm going to accept and embrace, you know, the perceived, uh, I guess, disadvantage I might have. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, anyone can do it, man. Like, people are successful regardless of skin color, height, yep. athletic, how smart they are. Man, there's a lot of dumb freaking rich people. I'll tell yep, you that. For sure. And it just is like, who wants it bad enough? Mm-hmm. That's yeah. what it comes down to. I mean, ultimately, ultimately, man, like, we're all a bunch of broken pieces. Yep. And I like to look at those cracks of those broken pieces as valleys. But in those valleys, that's where it rains. And where it rains, that's where growth is. That's where... Uh, I find refuge. That's where I find peace. That's why. I, that's where I find that adversity, that next level. And the problem is most people stop in those valleys. They just stop. And when it's raining, they're in the mud. They stay in the mud. 
they don't get to the sunshine. They don't get through the rain. They don't get to see the harvest and the, and the flowers bloom because they stay in those places. And if you can acknowledge the fact that, crap, I'm in this messed up situation. Nobody's coming to save me. They're, the alternative is, it, is I go that way. Or I go that way. What's the alternative? Like, do if it's hard, just do it hard. It doesn't matter. Right. Because the alternative is the, is the opposite of what you want anyway. Right. So just go through it and grow through it. Right. Well, you know what's funny is, like, <laughs> anyone's perceived, you know, weakness is a strength, like, to someone else. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, you're like, oh, man, you know, I, I, before, you're like, man, I'm black in these rich neighborhoods, and, you know, I don't fit in, and you know, whatever's happening. And then there are people who would look at you and say, well, dude, you're like, like you said, 6'10", you're a former pro athlete. Like, dude, you got it all made. And it's just like two different perceptions of Mm -hmm. like, you know, in your mind, you're like, I'm at a disadvantage. In someone else's mind, they're like, what are you talking about? Yep, for sure. Mm -hmm. Well, and and that's a great, that's such a great point because when when people think about me being an ex-athlete, like in 2010, I had my shot with the Rockets, right? So I went from playing mid-level Division I basketball to, you know, prior to that, you couldn't give me away in high school. I didn't dunk the ball until I was 19. I was driving a forklift in 2000, I think it was 2007, 2006, 2007. I was driving a forklift for Rite Aid Warehouse. And then I had another part-time job where I was working for Cisco in the freezer, driving a forklift at night and randomly playing open gym at the Carmelo Anthony Center, then going to Coppin State University. That's how I got my Division I opportunity. The coach came to me and said, what school do you go to? I said, I'm not in school. I said, well, I want to give you a full ride to, to my school. So that's how I got to play Division One basketball. And then going to, man, having a – I think I averaged like six points, like four rebounds a game. Nobody the, – the, the NBA was not banging down my door to draft me. Right. You know, it was these small little steps of acts of faith and commitment to the process that got me to the door. And then when I got to the door, it was like, now it's time to knock this joint down. I'm going to knock this door down because they didn't open it for me. There was nobody calling me. There was no coach coming to sit in my living room to talk about, you know, I know you got 13 offers from you from, <laughs> from UNC and all these. Other, there wasn't any of that. So I had to break those doors down. So when I got to to get into the real estate industry, all of those things, all those levels of adversity and that level of intensity that I've been going through year after year after year after year, that's all I knew. That's that's what I resonated with. That was that was what was in me. So it wasn't the fact that I was 6'10", because it never benefited me then. What I did realize was being 6'10", this is a God-given ability that I have, mm-hmm. right? Kevin Hart's 5'5". Five, five. Yeah. Like, so it's not a height thing. Yeah, he's pretty successful. But he's pretty successful, right? Muggsy Bogues. Dude, yeah. like, there's, like, it's not that, like, he took that disadvantage to the world and, and made it an advantage, right? And that's what they're known for. So for me, it wasn't about, I've never sold a home to an NBA player. Like I've never, like my athletic friends, the truth is they're not working with me because I'm, I'm, the, I'm, the, I'm the friend. I'm the, I'm the, I was the friend at that point before I built my business. I was, the, I was the homie, right? So to go from jersey to suit and tie, at that moment, they didn't trust me. Now I'm starting to get NBA clients. Now I have high-level celebrities. Now I have clientele that, that are affluent. But at that point when I was starting my business, it wasn't just because, oh, like, oh, Sam, you, yeah, we were teammates. Let me just buy this million-dollar house with you. No, it's like, dude. Yeah. Like just a couple years ago, we were in a strip club together. <laughs> like, like no. Yeah. So and then, then I started to be refined, and it was like, wait, Sam, you're different. Like those club invites, I'm not going. Like the, you want to go get drunk? No, I, I'm not really drinking at all. Like I have a glass of wine, 
let's take these shots. I don't take shots. Like I have to, I'm getting up at four o'clock in the morning to go get my workout in so I can be with my wife and my kids. Like I got a business to run. So as I started to become more and things started to change, then the circles that I was in started to change. The proximity to affluent people started to change. My conversations started to change. And the people that were at one point holding me down and or holding me back, the crabs in a barrel that I was then reaching out to because that's who I was allowing in my circle, they started to go away. Right. And then now it became me reaching down to help people up while I'm reaching up, getting more information from other people doing what I want to do. Right. So for these people that, you know, maybe are going through similar struggles, they've got limiting beliefs, whatever it is, what do you think that someone can do to kind of get over them and eliminate them? Um, first and foremost, being self-aware. Like looking in the mirror. I had to look in the mirror. I'm like a mix between, between a Jim Rohn, Tony Robbins, and David Goggins. Like the aspect of like I have this knowledge and this ability to communicate like Jim Rohn. That's how I like to think of myself. And then there's the, the Tony Robbins, the, the be inspired, to be motivated. And then there's the David Goggins. Well, you got to look in the mirror and say, I suck. I've put myself in this position. I stood in the line to go get a pair of J's. I, wait, I woke up to, to spend rent money on a bottle in the club. I'm out flexing on a date when I really don't have it. That same amount of money could have bought a course, but it, but it doesn't bring, it does not bring what you, what you want in that moment. And it's really being self-aware saying the things that I'm spending my money on and spending my time doing are bringing, are filling a short-term void that's keeping me away. So I'm sacrificing what I want long-term for what I want right now. And then you just go and keep repeating and repeating and repeating and repeating it. Get real with yourself and say, I'm in this position because of decisions that I made. Then get inspired, not motivated, but get inspired. Find where you want to go. Set your sail. Plant that flag and say, you know what? I'm going there. I don't know how to get there, but I'm going to start going that direction. Be inspired and then change who you are. Change who you are. I like to, the, the philosophy that, that really helped me do that was the be, do, have philosophy. Like everybody lives, have, do, be. So if I have the nice car, I'll sell luxury real estate. Well, if I have all the listings, then I'll go do the things that I'm supposed to do. And then I'll be this awesome pe person that everybody wants to be about. I flip that philosophy and say, now, what does that person, what does the Sam at 40 years old look like? What is the, the successful $50 million man that's philanthropic that just gives so much? Like, what does that person look like? Then I start being it. Then that leads me to the things that I need to do. And as I'm doing those things, the being, the doing will lead me to the having. If I do all these things that are important, if I be this person and do all these things that are important, I'll have all the things that I want. The having is the easy part. The stuff that we acquire, is, 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 it's easy to say it on this side of having. Like, my wife doesn't even know how to Christmas shop for me. She's just like, dude, like, there's nothing more that we need. We have what God says, all that we need and enough to share and enough to give it away. So it's hard for me to acquire stuff now because I'm like, the more stuff I get, the stuff doesn't make me happy. It's being that leads me to the doing that makes me happy and then watching watching people enjoy the having, like not my having. I know what it feels like to have, but the more I become, the more I get to do, and the more others get to have. So becoming self-aware and then take that philosophy and define what that girl or that guy looks like. What do you want to be? And then start being it now. Don't wait until, don't try to, don't postpone the being. Do the being now. I love that, dude. 
I did. You know, I knew you were a good realtor, but I did not know you were uh, a philosophizer, just like Jim Rohn and these guys. <laughs> you, you're bringing the heat today. It's funny because sometimes on these podcasts, we get guys, you know, like you who are just like they start walking me down this like crazy rabbit hole of of different philosophies. I'm like, holy crap, this is nuts. Yeah, I am. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm a man of mantras, and I'm a glutton for information because I I have two things that I can control: my work ethic and how I show up, and the knowledge that I can gain and then apply and give away. So I know if I put in the time and work, then I can, and I can go get knowledge, then I can put that knowledge to work. So those are my, two, my greatest attributes. I can go learn something and then put it to use right away. I will stop reading a book one page in just so I can go apply what I've learned. I don't care how long it takes me to finish the book because if, if I'm reading the book to get nuggets from it, if I get a nugget now and it can help me right now, I'm going to do it. And mm-hmm. if it doesn't work, then I'll go back and read the book. But I'm, a goal, but I'm going to sit down and figure out how I can implement what I learned. And yeah. that's, that's, the, that's, that's been what's been profitable for me. Yeah. No, for sure. It's funny because uh, when I give an, an, or advice, I'm just, like, super straightforward. I'm like, yo, you got a limiting belief? Freaking just stop doing it. Like, yep. believe you can do it. Yep. There's, what else is there for me to tell you? Like, mm-hmm. just believe. And... Um, I just know, and that's that's why there's so many great different people you can follow because, you know, I've never been a guy who's liked Tony Robbins and any of these guys do. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember I got to see, I went to Russell Brunson's um, Funnel Hackers back in 2018, and mm-hmm. Tony Robbins was the keynote. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was like a thousand bucks to the event or to attend the event. They're like, this is the cheapest event you'll ever go to that has Tony Robbins. Right. I was like, whatever. Like, I'll go to it, I guess. Like, I really <laughs> want to see Russell Brunson, but like, if Tony's there, that's cool. Yep. And then, um, you know, I, I watched Russell and I liked it because I resonate more with like strategy and tactical stuff. Mm-hmm. And then, like, Tony was the last day. And then I remember, like, you know, he gets on stage and, you know, he starts talking like all this philosophy and like getting people hyped and like yep. everyone's jumping and like screaming. I'm like, dude, this is not for me. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm so out of place right now. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I'm out of here. Yeah. This is like, <laughs> I can't handle this. But, you know, t- the whole the whole point of it is just like, man, whatever freaking gets you going, Correct. I don't care if you need to, to hear the craziest philosophy ever or if you just need to be told in plain words of like, just go do it. Mm-hmm. And like David Goggins style, like there's no way to like say this, right? Just effing do it. Yep. You know? Yep. And that's what, like, I can't listen to David Goggins around my wife. No, you can't. Right. So it's like, <laughs> this, like, David is a, he's an acquired taste. And I've learned mm-hmm. for myself, I'm an acquired taste. Mm-hmm. I'm very intense. So I have my team meetings and everybody's always like, Sam, we leave, like, we, we start out feeling attacked. Then we feel inspired. Then it's like, yo, I can go do this. So I go through these different phases of, of coaching where I'm going to tell you the truth and you're not going to like it. Because that's what has to happen. I think we live in a society now where the world is so anybody can get canceled for anything. Somebody will probably find a way to cancel me from this talk. Yeah. Like that's just the world that we live in. But I don't care because now I know what my like I'm walking in purpose and my purpose is bigger than how I feel. So if I can take what David Goggins says, if I can take what a Tony Robbins says, if I can take what a Jim Rohn says or a Zig Ziglar or, or, uh, or John Maxwell and, and become a better human being, become a better leader. That's what works for me, right? So it was me going through this phase of discovery, finding out these bits and pieces of information and how I can extract them and then then become a better person. Now, 
you got, like you said, it's all these people that you can follow. Like, I learned so much from Bradley, like, just being in closer school, like, two years ago. Like, when he first started, or three years, whenever it was when he first started closer school. And it was like, I took this little nugget about overcoming objections. And then, like, I was never, I never had another issue with objections ever again. Mm. Like, it was that small, brief moment where I took that nugget, then I applied it, and I'm like, oh, this works. Yeah. You want to talk, talk about a storyteller? I, I listen to Brad, and I'm like, where does this guy come up, come up with, with this stuff? stuff. <laughs> like, <laughs> this guy has, like, the most random stories yep. and philosophies I've ever heard. But yep. can paint a picture, man. Yeah. Yeah. He's good. Yeah, for sure. But I, I do all that stuff, and I, and I say all that to say it doesn't matter. It may be somebody completely different. Like, even, I'll tell you another, like, Mel Robbins. Like, I listened to a talk from her where she said she pretends that NASA is at her doorstep or next to her bed, and she counts down 5, 4, 3, 2, 1 to help her get out of bed. That's something I still do today. Like this morning, my alarm goes off at 415. I'm like, dude, 54321. David Goggins kicks in. Just go do it. Just go do it. Like there's no, I'm not going to think. I'm not even going to give myself a chance to think. Mm-hmm. So then I get up and I start my day with my journal and, my, and I pray and I, and, I, and I start with something that's going to get me that feeling of, of, of poise and peace. I start my day with peace before I go and address the world. And then I go to the gym. Then I get my gym in. Right, so then it's like, all right, at five a.m., I'm beating on the door of life. I'm taking control of it. That's what works for me, right? So it's a, it's a, it's a matter of you finding what works for you. It may not be the gym for you. It may, it may like my kids and my my family, and the generations to come is what I'm is that, like. That's my focal point. I have my numbers, my sticky notes all around my house, you know, in my car, my affirmations and things like that 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 work for me. But most importantly, it's like, am I walking in purpose today? Is this is, is is what I'm going to do? Is is what I'm feeling? What I'm believing? My seven equities of life are they are they in line with my purpose? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. No. Hundred percent, man. So, what's the future hold for you, dude? Um, a lot of good things. A lot of a lot of great things. Good is the enemy of great, but a lot of great things. Um, most immediate is scaling my team. So, finding more people in the real estate business that are trying to find their way. The, the, the people that nobody wanted to spend time with because at that when I first started my business, nobody wanted to help me. So now I have a mission to stick it to every single person that watched me struggle that could have helped me. So I want to be the person that helps agents in the masses and do the business the right way, be ethical and be classy. Like I have agents on my team right now going through transactions where it's not the people, it's not the house, it's not the economy, it's the agent on the other side. So now I am on a quest to make our industry better. So scaling my team um, to to uh, on a uh, on a bigger scale, and then ultimately feeling like Ryan Pineda, investing <laughs> <laughs> and, and investing in real estate. So I I took the the another avenue of investing. I took the Warren Buffett strategy right away because with no information, I went to if I want to have money, look at the richest people in the world. Like I'm not Jeff Bezos, so. I, like, is my company going to be Amazon? I don't know. But I know Warren Buffett's strategy. So in 25 years, I have my number and what that number looks like and what I have to do to get to that number so I can have complete freedom. So I took that route. But in the short term, it's like, wait, I have a tremendous opportunity with my high income earning right now to expedite that process or multiply that process now. So um, we're 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 fortunate enough as a team to to be successful selling real estate, um, getting into education and teaching people um, about not just finances and not just about selling more real estate, but finances and how important it is to have a plan for your money, 
um, how important personal brand is with the Lux Academy, and then also uh, Lux Lux Holdings getting into long term holds, and and then my my true love is fashion. So at some point, uh, you know, we get I'm starting to get a lot of brand deals and companies that are that are sponsoring me. But at some point, I will have my own you know fashion brand for men um, that are men and women that are taller for all my, for all my giants <laughs> out there. Yeah, yeah, but something a little bit cooler with a little bit more swag. I so like that's my end goal. So I want to spend the rest of my days like uh, Dapper Dan. So where <laughs> I'm, I'm going around and my job is to be fashionably classy for the rest of my life. There you go, yeah. dude. That's awesome, man. I love it, man. Yeah. It's funny because, uh, you know, I, I actually did a call with uh, Ryan Serhant's uh, mm-hmm. coaching uh, students and stuff. And my whole thing to them was like, guys, don't just freaking look at every seller like they're just a listing. Correct. Try and buy some of these houses, dude. You can make a lot more money doing that. Yep. So I'm cool. To, I'm glad to see you uh, embracing that. I want to see you, you know, buy some rentals, flip some houses, mm-hmm. turn a lot of these leads into to, uh, some investments. Yeah. And then now it's it's when I'm on, on this side of the fence, now I get to empower my agents and I give more opportunity for them. Because if I'm if I'm still in the game, I'm, I'm going to win. Mm-hmm. But but. At what cost does winning? At what cost am I going to pay to to win? I don't want to be in real estate twenty years from now, being the best door knocker to ever live, or the best <laughs> circle prospector ever live. Like that's not how this is going down. But now I'm giving those opportunities to my team, so I give a lot of my my, my business away, and I and I personally deal with the people that I want to work with because it's not about the money for me; it's about the people. To your point, right. when I have those opportunities with those people, now I can capitalize on them. Right, hundred percent. Yep. Well, dude, it's been a blast having you on, man. Proud of your success. And just uh, I think everyone got a lot of value today. Guys, you know, if you did, make sure you hit that subscribe button. Make sure you hit the like button. We'll uh, link to Sam's socials down below so you guys can reach out to him. But, man, it's been a lot of fun, dude. Same, man. I really appreciate it. And you are freaking killing it, man. I'm, I'm honored to be here. Appreciate that, dude. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. We'll catch you on the next one. Peace. Thanks for watching the Ryan Pineda Show. If you want to work with me, head over to ryanpineda.com. You can find my courses, coaching programs, and upcoming events. We also have free resources you can download, so head over to ryanpineda.com.